Take your Bible with me, if you would, this morning and open them to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11. Gospel of Luke, chapter 11. I want to say thank you, Jerry and the band, for filling in and leading us while Larry is gone. He's on his way to Oregon this week. Um, He did report he's north of Las Vegas, didn't stop in Las Vegas, so we don't have anything to worry about. Um, But if you would, pray for his safety. And he should be back next week. Thank you again, Jerry and the band. Well, back to the Gospel of Luke. We've been away from it for some time now. I actually heard someone say I miss the Gospel of Luke, which was encouraging. I figured I've I've bored all of you by now. But um, we are into the 11th chapter, about halfway through content-wise through this Gospel. And I hope it's been a blessing to you and will continue to serve as a blessing to you. We actually come to one of the most important practical texts for you and I today. It's not just important practically speaking for our Christian faith. It's also important theologically speaking. So we can have a correct understanding of what is really one of the top tier highest priority disciplines and gifts for the Christian life. This morning we come to the subject of prayer and we are looking at the important principles of prayer as spelled out by our Lord. And this is, as I said, one of the greatest gifts and disciplines that a Christian can lay claim to. In fact, the significance of you and I being able to pray to our God is really unfathomable. The importance of it cannot be stressed enough. I call it a gift this morning because you and I are not deserving of communication with the Almighty Creator. And yet, through Christ, we have the ability to approach God in clear and confident communication. It is complete and total access to our Maker. Prayer is a great gift. I also call it a discipline because it is something in which you and I have to work at. It is a discipline worth developing that needs to be developed and it's worth putting your time and effort into growing in this area. In other words, prayer is not natural for us. We have to learn how to pray. Hence the text this morning where Jesus teaches us how to pray. We have to practice prayer to grow in it. We have to study prayer to know its significance and what it means and that's what we come to find this morning as Christ teaches us of the privilege and power of prayer, that we get to seek the heart and goodness of our God. I would add another word here. Prayer is a command, isn't it? God instructs and God expects His children to engage with Him in a lifestyle of prayer. That's because prayer fosters a relationship. And those who would claim to have a relationship with God would be active in prayer in fact they have to be active in prayer and the reason is because god has designed prayer to be the very lifeline of the church the very lifeline of the believer you are only as healthy in your christian faith as healthy as your prayer life is the health of your christian faith will not exceed the health of your prayer life it is that 
simple, that straightforward, that important. You cannot thrive in the faith without prayer. You cannot grow in godliness without prayer. You cannot navigate life adequately and obediently without prayer. It is a top tier issue for the Christian. Many books have been written about it because of that reason. Many sermons have been preached about it because of that reason. Because Christians throughout the centuries, throughout the history of the church, have known and recognized and seen the importance of communicating and getting to communicate our heart to God. I hope we will agree with them. Now, the Bible itself, if you've read it any, the New Testament, know, you know that the Bible is full of teachings concerning prayer, admonitions and encouragements and exhortations and promises. You would know that we're not allowed to treat prayer casually, are we? You would know that we're not allowed to ignore its necessity. You would know that prayer for the Christian is not an option. There's not an option of participation. But the problem is that we all would admit to, it comes down to this, we're not sure how to pray, are we? Yeah, we know all these truths. We know we're supposed to. We know we should not neglect it. We know that it's important. We may not understand how important. But the problem you and I have is we're not sure how to do it. We try and we struggle through it. We put forth effort. But if we're being honest, we would admit that we are far from confident when it comes to praying. We're not sure what to ask for. We're not sure how to approach God appropriately. We're not sure what it means to pray the Scriptures. We're not sure... What's worth praying for and what's not worth praying for? One of the most common struggles I hear when people come to me with problems of prayer in their lives, they feel like they're just saying the same thing over and over again all the time. I have nothing new to say. I don't know what to say to God. And I understand that you're speaking to the Creator. Well, thankfully, our Lord loves us and he's teaching us in Luke chapter 11 how we are to approach God, what's worth praying for, what we should be saying. And it deserves, because of those reasons, our utmost attention this morning. This is the Lord himself helping us out and teaching us concerning one of the most important aspects of the entire Christian life. We are not to come to Luke 11 and ignore it as familiar. We are to come to Luke 11 where the Lord teaches us the importance and significance of how to carry out prayer in our lives. And we're to come to it clinging to every single word. Now, I want to pause for a moment before we get into the text and give you some general thoughts, really three general thoughts that encompass what prayer is. And I think we'll find them in this text this morning as well. Prayer is acknowledging that God is in control. By the very nature of it, it is us going before God and saying, we need divine intervention. You're the one who possesses the power. You're the one with the authority. You're the one with the will that matters in this life. Prayer is our expression and our admittance that God is in control. Number two, prayer also acknowledges that we are dependent creatures. 
Not just that God is in control, but by association, we're not in control. Prayer is that expression that we can't handle, that we can't fix, we can't solve, and we can't navigate this life without God. Every human worldview has to admit something's wrong with creation, right? People lie, people steal, people don't keep their promises. Earthquakes happen, tornadoes happen, natural disasters happen. The world isn't quite perfect, right? Every worldview has to admit that. Prayer is our expression of saying the world isn't perfect and we know who has the answer. It's God. We're dependent upon him. We seek divine intervention. Prayer is our expression of dependency on God. Thirdly, prayer is the very exercising of our faith. It's the expression of our beliefs that God is good. That God keeps his promises. That God hears our prayers. That God actually does exist. That we are to be humble and submissive to him. And on and on and on. In fact, if you do not believe those things, you cannot adequately pray. You cannot pray at all. You must believe God is good. You must believe that God exists. You must believe that he keeps his promises, that he hears our prayers and that we are to submit to his will. Otherwise, you're not praying at all. Now, I think we'll find these things mentioned as Christ teaches us how to pray this morning. He's going to tell us that God is in control and should be in control, that we are dependent upon him and that we must exercise our beliefs to him in prayer, confessing them, admitting them and seeking to grow in them. What we find in Luke chapter 11 this morning, church, is a uniquely intended and uniquely defined mark of Christ followers. If you want to be a Christ follower, then what Jesus says in Luke 11 should mark you in your life as well. Now we come to this text and there's there's two records of it in Luke chapter 11 and then in Matthew chapter 6, Matthew places it in the Sermon on the Mount. There's quite a bit of difference. Luke contains one-third of what Matthew records in his gospel. In the Greek original language, Matthew uses 57 words to communicate it. Luke only uses 38. Nonetheless, the main principles and elements are mentioned here together. Look with me now in Luke chapter 11, verse 1. We will begin to unpack them as we walk through the text. We're going to read this morning from verse 1 through verse 13. Luke writes and he says, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And Jesus said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within. Do not bother me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. Verse 8, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence or persistence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. 
And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Jesus begins His teaching to the disciples here by listing priorities in prayer. Verses 1 through 4 are our priorities when we pray. He mentions five areas of focus, five areas that are important to God, five principles for prayer. Now, it's important to note this model prayer of Jesus is not a word-for-word magical prayer. Some of us have been in those situations, whether it be the football locker room or, or the basketball locker room or some other event where someone leads us in the Lord's Prayer thinking it has secret special abilities in it. That's not... What Christ is getting at here. In fact, this is the only time we have him praying in such a fashion. He doesn't pray this way at any other time, word for word. It's a principle-oriented prayer instead. Rather, it's to be an attitude of the heart that Christ is trying to communicate to us. Things that we ought to be especially concerned about when we pray. It's not a list of requirements that you either say these words or else you're not heard. It's a guide to express in our own words to God what Jesus is getting at in this text. He lists these five priorities and we're going to walk through them in order. The first one is that we are to prioritize in our prayers reverence and respect. The first phrase Jesus uses there is Father Hallowed be your name. And essentially what Jesus is saying here is know who you are coming before in prayer and how you are to come before him. He uses two key words in that text that are encouraging to us. First, he says, Father. Second, he says, Hallowed. Father means we are actually allowed in Christ the honor of coming before God in a personal and intimate fashion. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16 would even commend us to do that and tell us to do that. Draw before the throne in confidence because of what Christ has done for you. As Christians who are in Christ and under that blood that we sing about this morning, who have the salvation of God through Jesus, have complete and total access to God the Father in the most personal and intimate ways possible. You don't have to go through a priest. You don't have to do some kind of ritualistic dance you don't have to do some kind of repetitious prayer you have complete access through christ to god that's enough to elevate the significance of prayer in our hearts i hope secondly he says hallowed be your name talking about god we are not just to understand who we get to come before but how we are to come before him and who he is he's holy isn't he He's divine. He's majestic and powerful. And we have to understand that as we come before God. Yes, you have the complete privilege of coming before God as you are with your own personality in the most personal and intimate way, but you cannot come before Him disrespectfully. 
You have access, but you come before the almighty God who possesses all power, all rule and all authority. And we treat him with such respect, right? We treat him with such humility. We treat him with such honor. Hallowed means to set apart. To be distinct, to be holy. Our God is hallowed. And among his children, he should first and foremost be respected as such. If anybody in the world is to give God the proper honor due his name, it should be us. And it should be us primarily when we ascend before his throne in prayer. Now let's think about these two things in the opposite chronology. The one who is hallowed and holy and set apart is also the one who is our father. What security lies there for the believer? What comfort and what confidence and what hope and what joy should be welling up within our hearts to know that we can approach the hallowed God as Father, this is the privilege and power and importance of prayer. Jesus says, when you pray, prioritize reverence and respect for the one who is your heavenly father. Second, we are to prioritize a desire for the things of God. He says, your kingdom come. Our prayers must be desires Express desires for God to ultimately be glorified in our lives and in the world. It's a desire we should communicate and have desires for the things of God to come about. God, we want your kingdom to be established here. Your rule, your law, your domain in my heart and in this world. We want you to define right and wrong. You to define good and evil. Our morals, our ethics, our practices. God, we want your kingdom to exist here now. We want you to be exalted. Christ says that is a priority in your prayers. That attitude, that heart. Let me be clear. Self-centered praying is foreign to the Bible. And that's a gut shot to all of us, isn't it? To pray selfishly is to not pray at all. And to pray for your own agenda is to not pray at all. And church, if we held on to even just that simple truth, we would eliminate a lot of the noise of our prayers and we would enhance the invigorating power of our prayer life. If we cut out the selfish motives and the establishing of our own kingdom in our prayer lives and prayed instead for God's kingdom to come and be established and rule and reign in our lives and in this world, we would find great joy and great satisfaction in praying. Number three, Jesus says we are to prioritize a humble expression of dependence upon God. A humble expression of dependence upon God. He says, give us each day our daily bread. It is simple. We must give credit where credit is due. 
expressing our dependency upon God and gratitude for him being our provider and meeting our needs through his provisions is a prayer of thanksgiving. And that prayer of thanksgiving is a prayer of praise, a prayer of worship, a prayer of attributing honor for what he has done for us. You and I, the simple fact is we will always have moments of need in this life. And when we try to meet our needs in our own power, we are disregarding God and that is disrespect. But when we recognize the needs we have in this life, great and small, and bring them before the God who meets all needs abundantly, we honor Him. We exalt Him. We bestow praise upon Him. Our humble expression of dependence upon God exalts God in our lives. Confessing these needs, thanking Him for these needs, and seeking His provision is important to God. Number four, Jesus says we need to prioritize a humble and sincere desire for forgiveness. We need to have a value placed in our prayers upon forgiveness, a value placed upon mercy, and a value placed upon grace. See, the truth is we must not only remember who it is we come before in prayer, but who we are in His presence. We are sinners in need of grace. We are broken, finite, fallible creatures who have transgressed this holy God who has graciously given us access into His presence. And we ought to come before Him often asking for forgiveness. It's what Jesus says. Express your dependence upon Him. And then verse 4. Ask Him to forgive us our sins. We must constantly be seeking the Lord's mercy. Pleading with His compassion. Confessing our sins to Him. How often do people come before the Lord... And try to put on a show before the God who knows the very depths of your heart. Hebrews tells us that we are all naked and exposed before Him whom we will have to give an account to. And yet Christ says we can come to this hallowed Father and ask Him for His forgiveness of those sins. We ought to be confessing our sins first and foremost and very quickly to our God. But not just that. We are to place a value on forgiveness in general and ask Him to help us forgive others and to pray for mercy in their lives. Matthew chapter 6, where He records this teaching of the Lord, He tags on to the end of it a teaching that will apply right here. Jesus says in Matthew six fourteen and 15, If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. God places a high value on forgiveness, not just the forgiveness of your sins, but you forgiving others of their transgressions. In fact, forgiveness is so valuable to God that He would send His Son to die on the cross to secure that forgiveness for sinners. And then he would tell us through his son, when we pray, we ought to be concerned about us forgiving others. We do this for our sake, for their sake, and for the glory of God. 
It is not easy to forgive others sometimes. But the mark of one who has been forgiven is a striving to forgive others. Number five, Jesus is telling us here in this text, we ought to prioritize a freedom from sin in our prayers. Lastly, at the end of verse four, he tells the disciples to say, lead us not into temptation. Now, James is very clear. God does not tempt. God cannot be tempted and he does not tempt us. What Jesus is saying is that we are not just to be marking our lives and marking our prayers by seeking forgiveness of sin, but we are also to be concerned about being delivered from sin. Give us victory over sin. What we sang about today, Lord, victory in Jesus, victory through the cross, let it actually be lived out through my life. Not just words I sing and not just words I agree with, but true reality for me. God, give us that forgiveness, that deliverance. Christ is telling us to petition God with eagerness and with passion for victory over your sinful struggles. Here's the reality. You will not have victory over the sinful struggles in your life if you do not ask God for it. Because nothing in your own power and strength will overcome those temptations that snare onto you like hooks and drag you down. Only God can grant that freedom and liberty. And Jesus tells us, when you pray, ask the Lord to deliver you. Jesus mentions these priorities that we are to have in prayer, and they are to be expressed in our own words to God. Again, this is not a magical, repetitious kind of prayer. These these principles ought to be present. We ought to be concerned with the Respect and reverence of the Lord when we pray. We ought to be concerned with the desires of God and the things that He cares about we should care about and pray about. We ought to be expressing our humility and dependency upon Him and asking His forgiveness and help to forgive others. And we ought to be asking for His victory and deliverance over sin in our lives. But Jesus goes on. He doesn't stop there with these priorities. He continues through this text to tell his disciples how to pray for these priorities. First, he shares a parable. And he basically says, those things that are important to us are measured by our persistence in prayer for them. So that's the second point we find in the text this morning. Persistence in prayer. Look with me real quick in verse 5. We'll re- recount this parable he, he shares. Which of you has a friend who has a friend, will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. Jesus often shares parables that parables that are normal to, to the custom of the day. This fits that description. This is a custom practice for Jews in this time period. Friends often traveled at night to avoid heat. And so it was very likely that a friend might show up to your house at midnight. And hospitality was a... It was a high, highly valued virtue in their society. And so when a friend came, they were expecting to be treated with food and refreshments as they went on their journey. Apparently, this individual had just enough food for his own family that day. And so he runs to his neighbor's house, his other friend, to get more food, just enough for this traveler. 
In verse 7, his friend responds to him, Do not bother me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. Verse 8, Jesus says, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. This is a parable concerning our attitude towards God in prayer. And Jesus himself says, friendship is not enough, but persistence is. Association is not enough, but persistence is. Now, I want to be careful first before we take this parable too far. Because there are many ways in which the friend in bed with his children here is not like God. And we must be clear about that. First, God is not like this man annoyed with our requests. In fact, he wants our requests. Mankind may hate persistence from one another, but God welcomes it. In fact, Jesus is teaching the importance of it in prayer. Persistence is valuable in the eyes of God. He's not annoyed with our requests. He wants our requests. God is also not too busy or preoccupied like this man in the parable. He's not sleeping. He's not tucked away in bed. Third, God is not unwilling to answer like this gentleman was. It's not that we must press him into answering us and giving us a request by our persistence. God actually, Jesus is going to say, wants to answer our request. Number four, God, like this man, does not change his mind. Number five, God does not shut the door to us in prayer like this man claims to have. God Number six is not swayed by our constant requests. Again, you cannot talk God into a new plan. You do not press him into doing something. Number seven, God's will is not based upon our prayers like some want to take this parable to indicate. God already has a will and a plan in Ephesians 1.11. He operates according to the counsel of his own will, not our counsel. Romans chapter 11, who would counsel God? Our prayers do not dictate to God what he should or should not do. Instead, again, what Jesus is saying here is the attitude and heart behind your prayers. And he's stressing here in this parable our attitude towards God, not God's attitude towards us. We are persistent in prayer and ought to be persistent in prayer. And that's a valuable lesson for us, isn't it? Practically speaking, the truth be told, we are not very good at praying. In fact, let's be honest, we are notoriously bad at it. This is one of the most valuable lessons of the whole text. Not just the priorities that Christ mentions, but the attitude towards those priorities. We actually are guilty of giving up far too easily in our prayer lives. We tire out too quickly. And we do not persist in matters that we should persist in. Jesus is calling us to labor in prayer here. To be diligent about matters that are important to us. To not give up and to petition God over and over and over and over until God answers. He's calling us to a long-term lifestyle of praying, to be people who do not easily forget, who do not neglect, and do not casually treat the things that we are to pray about. 
Oh, how I pray and hope that we pray for the lost people that we know, for their salvation. And I hope that we persist in such prayers. The truth of the matter is we often do not receive an answer from God because we stop praying too soon. God answers those who are persistent in matters of prayer. And according to Christ, such persistence is important to God in prayer. Leon Morris wrote in his commentary on this very verse, he said, the lesson is clear. We must not play at prayer, but show persistence if we do not receive the answer immediately. If we do not want what we are asking for enough to be persistent, then we do not want it very much. And such tepid prayer is not answered. Now, what's the purpose that God would have in us being persistent? Why would God not answer our prayers? If he wants to answer them, why not answer them quickly? Why is he telling us to persist? If we don't change his mind, if we don't press him into action, if he's already got an answer set in eternity, why is he asking us to persist in prayer? I believe we have some answers. Number one, it's to increase our faith as we trust and seek God in the matter. Don Whitney, in his book called The Spiritual Disciplines, when he comes to the discipline of prayer, says this. He says, faith would never grow if all prayers were answered immediately. And that's a very accurate statement. Faith would never grow if all prayers were answered immediately. God, in His calling us to be persistent, God wants to increase our faith. Number two, our persistence in prayer is meant to help us understand the importance of certain topics. To labor over the salvation of the lost and to labor over those concerns in our lives, and to labor over our own victory over sin and growth and godliness. Number three, persistence in prayer is to help us grow in patience. Now that's hard for us, right? Because at any moment we can pick up a cellular device and have instant access to anything in the world. Any kind of information, any kind of knowledge, and any kind of news we could ever want, we have it instantaneously. When we want an answer to something, we are in a habit now of getting it very quickly. And yet, God delaying to answer our prayers grows Christ-like patience within us like nothing else. Persistence in prayer is meant to help us to learn how to pursue God in gratitude. Don Whitney on this same subject shared an illustration. He said, how much joy is there when, the, when a child is born because of the nine months of anticipation that's been building? And he says, so it is with God when he delays to answer a request and then eventually answers it after persistence. Our anticipation and joy for such an answer is elevated. And he's right. Number five. Persistence in prayer is meant to make us bold in our request to the Lord. Not disrespectful, but confidence. Number six, persistence is meant to show us that we are to be passionate about what we seek and say in prayer and not to give up on it easily. I fear the enemy would tempt us all too often and all too quickly to be silent before God. 
and to either think that God is unwilling or unable to answer our request. Overcome the enemy by being persistent in prayer. And don't let the temptation of silence take over your heart or the temptation of independence take over your heart. Instead, be strong in the Lord and know He would have you persist in prayer for the sake of faith. Well, number three, real quickly, stick with me. Verses 9 through 13. This is the last lesson Jesus teaches in this text regarding prayer. It's perhaps one of the most important lessons for us as we endure life and sometimes go through the drought in our prayer lives. We are finite creatures and we do not pray perfectly all the time. And every one of us gets stuck in a rut in prayer, gets stuck in a drought of of prayer in our prayer lives. And in that moment, we can remember the priorities, those things that we're supposed to pray for. We know that in our head. And in that moment, we remember this exhortation, how we're to pray in persistence. But it's in those moments of drought that nothing matters more than what Christ says right here, these promises of prayer. The promises of prayer. That's what will get us through the drought. And that's what Christ would deem worthy of you and I knowing today. Now these promises of prayer, I'm going to run through them quickly. They are based upon and grounded in the goodness of God. It's God Himself, the very heart and character and person of our God, that dictates these promises to us. It's the one who hears our prayers that is the ground for the promise of our prayers. His heart and His care and His love for us in prayer. That's our hope and confidence. Now in verse nine, verses 9 and 10, Jesus shares three things twice to bring home the point of what He's saying. It's these promises. Number one, ask and it will be given. Number two, seek, and you'll find. Number three, knock, it will be open. What a promise made by our Lord. Ask in persistence and according to the priorities, it'll be given. Seek with persistence and seek what Jesus defines as a priority. It'll be, it'll be found, you'll find it. Knock with diligence upon the door of God's heart and it will be open to you. Church, imagine... If we prayed believing these priorities. They, these things, they are as sure and as certain as God Himself. And if we really believe the promises Jesus makes right here in Luke 11, persistence in prayer wouldn't be an issue. We would ask and ask and ask until it was given. We would seek and seek and seek until it had been found. We would knock and knock and knock until it had been opened. And let's take these promises and even apply them to those priorities. You can go to God and ask for provisions and the request be answered. Ask for forgiveness And the request be answered. Ask for deliverance. Seek deliverance and you will find it. These are monumental promises made to us by Christ. And the reason he can make these promises is because they are grounded in God. Who is ultimately and always good. And knows how to give good gifts. And wants to give good 
gifts. Persistence is our attitude towards God in prayer. His promises is his attitude towards us in prayer. Jesus explicitly in verses 11, 12, and 13 wants to draw that contrast. If we're asked for a fish, we don't give a serpent. If we're asked for an egg, we don't give a scorpion. And he says, if you're e- you who are evil know how to give good gifts, how much more God, who is the very definition of good? He most certainly knows how to give give good gifts and he wants to give good gifts and jesus says he has most notably given the greatest gift that he can give and that is himself that's the holy spirit in verse 13 the indwelling of his presence we can ask for more of his presence and unity with him and nearness of his presence and on and on and on and have confidence that god longs for that to happen and will bring it about If only it's important enough to us to persist. These are the truths we can hold with certainty in every moment of prayer. That we have a good God who wants to hear from us. He wants to answer us. He wants to give good gifts and good answers to us. And he has the power to do so. And the the integrity to do so. And he will give us himself if we seek him. Now I would close in saying this. The only way we can cling to these promises is because Christ has secured them on the cross for us. Romans chapter 5 verse 1 tells us why these promises and why prayer like this is made possible. In chapter 5 verse 1, Paul writes and he says concerning us and our relationship with God, he says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, made right before God, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The only way we are allowed to pray in such a way is because Christ has made peace with God on our behalf. If you are not in Christ, you do not have these promises, this access. But if you are in Christ, he secured these promises for us on the cross. He made it all possible for us on the cross and so we come to Luke 11 and he tells us to pray this way church because he paid such a high price to make it possible you can come to the father in confidence because of what Christ has done on your behalf on the cross and in the resurrection and that makes prayer a priority and important And we ought not neglect it. Again, Christ paid too high a price so that you can have access to the Father. What a wonderful truth. What a certain promise for us. And now we can come before the good and holy God with complete confidence and hope and intimacy and be certain that He hears our prayers. Oh, if we were a praying people who believed these promises, ask, seek, knock. If we were a praying people who persisted as God would have us until He answered. If we were a praying people who prayed the things that were important to the heart of God. His praise and reverence and respect. His kingdom to come here on earth. Our provisions and dependency, forgiveness and deliverance from sin. 
we would be a people who witness God in ways that we hadn't before. Maybe you're here this morning and you realize my life as a Christian, my prayer life is not like that. And is not what Jesus has defined. But one of the best things about belonging to Christ is sanctification and progression in the faith. And that what we were once not very good at, Christ can make us better at. Maybe today is your day of commitment to say, Lord, I want to pray like you call us to pray. Make me a person of prayer. Make me like Epaphras in Colossians 4 who labors in prayer. Maybe this morning you've come to this text and you realize, I don't have that in my life because I'm not a Christian. I don't know God that way. I don't know Christ in that fashion. I don't have that confidence. I don't have those promises. We'll take hope because today is the day of salvation. And you can come to Christ in faith now and he will hear the prayer of faith and the prayer of repentance and you can be saved. I'm going to pray and the band's going to come up while I pray and then I'm going to ask you to stand and we're going to have a moment of response and song where you can worship the Lord for what he's shown us about himself and us and his word. But it's also a time for any of us, any of you who think you want to be saved to come down and let me introduce you to the Lord. Don't wait. It's too important. Lord, we come to you in prayer right now in this moment with such gratitude because we know who you are, how exalted you are and glorious you are. And we know who we are before you, sinners in need of forgiveness and grace and mercy that you bestow. We thank you for such a gift as this. Please, O oh Lord, make us people of prayer. We're dependent upon you working in our hearts to do so. Lord, for those who are here today who need salvation, would you work and burn in their hearts so that they would come to you in faith now and we may celebrate their new life in you. Help apply these truths of prayer to our own lives that you may be pleased and exalted with us. We love you, Lord, and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.